0: Welcome to LameStream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall.
1: My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, this one in your ear holes right now, you can rate it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it. Smash that subscribe button. Um, But mostly just tell somebody that you listen to LameStream Sports and they should too.
0: I agree with that. I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody that we are brought to you by Jaspers, uh, an amazing and wonderful next evolution of the sports bar that you should probably use to cater a big game party, perhaps coming up. Big parking game. is parking is free. The menu's awesome. The food's great. the The grab and go market. The game room will babysit your children. Um, uh, but go to <laughs> Jaspers, everybody. Uh, I, I'm I'm saying all this right now because I'm going to tell you this episode is not. Uh, we are not going to stick to sports. We will talk about some sports, <laughs> but but uh, this is not for the faint of heart. Jeff Calkins from the Daily Memphian, formerly of the Commercial Appeal, has been in the market for how long, Steve? Uh Forever. 30 years, 30 yeah. years plus, um, covering Memphis. Obviously, a traumatic uh, community experience uh, with the video of Tyree Nichols over the weekend coming out, and he's been writing columns about it. He covered the protests on the bridge. Uh, But also, we'll get into some history about the city and sort of the community and the Grizzlies and the University of Memphis and sort of the future and everything. So uh, not for the faint of heart, Steve, uh, on this episode. And I, for one, relish the opportunity to talk about tough things on a show like this. So I appreciate uh, Jeff giving us so much of his time.
1: Uh, Calkins is, if you haven't had the privilege to read him... um... He is one of the more thoughtful sports columnists you're ever going to find. Uh, he's he has a string of uh, writing awards uh, for his prose, but he's just he's just a smart, thoughtful guy. And honestly, Memphis is lucky to have a guy like him. As long as they've had him, and kind of have that kind of that longitudinal look at the city and issues and sports. And I, I just I think he's great, and and I appreciate him giving
0: us time. No, he, he is uh, also does a radio show as well in Memphis and has been a part of the community for a very, very long time. So qualified to speak on some of the things that have transpired over the course of the last week, week and a half uh, in Memphis. So uh, without any more from us, uh, we'll be back after the conversation. But here was our talk with the Daily Memphians, Jeff Calkins. Jeff, good to see you. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time during a very busy week. We do appreciate it, sir. How are you?
2: It's good to be here. I'm good, thank you. Uh,
0: let's just start first before we get into any details. Just Can you give people a sense of what life in Memphis has been like the last week and a half?
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, as surreal is an overused word, um, but you don't... I mean, among other things, just waking up and being... Um, sort of the center of national attention you know when i get my daily new york times uh email and they're talking about policing um and it's it's from memphis or the vice president here is is coming to memphis or so with this discussion that you've seen um all over the country for the last decade uh all of a sudden it moves into your hometown and um and and, and so there's, there's that part that's been surreal, but then there has been a real sense of, um, sadness, I think, because, you know, I, I obviously didn't know Tyree Nichols, but by all accounts, seems to be a wonderful, sweet man. And it's almost, you know, we, I, I don't so there's my dog is now barking the, um, Gus, stop that. Hold on. Uh the uh the the idea that, that this unfolded in your city is just you know it's crushing. And so I, I I went to a grizzlies game. I'm gonna walk away from my dog here. I went to a grizzlies game recently and the, the sense among the players and coaches was just palpable sadness. There was none of this "we're going to bring the community together" nonsense that you often hear. It was just they were trying to process it, just like we were trying to process it. How did this happen? And then to have this incredible scene where you're waiting for a video to drop, which which you know is going to be horrific, um, is also a um, you know something that we I don't think that an experience anyone has ever had before. So it's certainly something i've never seen in my you know now 30 40 years of business
1: the you mentioned you mentioned the 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 players sort of reaction i think the headline i saw on one site was was uh john Morant saying you know i'm sick of this shit and, and that and and kind of like the reaction to kind of police brutality uh your sports columnist you 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 spend a lot of time writing about Uh, writing about the Grizzlies and about the University of Memphis, uh, specifically. And and then sort of this thing happens. How do you kind of measure what you write about and, and, and kind of what lenses that you write it through?
2: Yeah. So I am, um, you know, I'm a sports columnist at various times I've written one Metro column a week or I've like, it it is an interesting role that it seems like, sports so much spills over into real life and there and most places there isn't always a strong metro columnist we don't have at the daily memphian metro really and so i find that i've become both in my writing and on the radio there's not a good robust talk show in memphis either really you know and so the sports talk show becomes the place where people talk about these things and honestly during the pandemic, our ratings on our talk show went way up because I would have the mayor on and I would have uh, epidemiologists on and I would have. And so so I, I, I write and talk about the broader issues um, all the time, but it is true then you wonder something this heavy, what's, what's my role? And um, I went out, uh, I went to the protest Friday. And I, um, just to see if something would strike me, it's never mandatory for me to write. It's just, and honestly, I didn't, I I went there and I was with them on the bridge and I saw how that all unfolded and everything else. And I just didn't feel, I didn't know that I had anything to say that was not anything that had been said or that some, um, and so I ended up not writing about it that night. And then I went to the Grizzlies, the first home game was Sunday um, since all of this unfolded. And so I went to that and, um, and and there I was really struck by how rocked the players were and how they basically, it gave me a voice to say something, which is we are all trying to figure out as a community, how to process this. And the Grizzlies, even though they have this, you know, high profile job, they're no different than the other people in Memphis who are trying to figure out how to process this. And, um, and so it, I, I was able to write about, I think, what is a universal experience. What do we do with this now? Where do we go forward now? How do we do our regular jobs now? Um, because the Grizzlies were grappling with the same thing, even though their jobs are, are different than, than mine.
0: How, how unique is the, the, the city and the issue because, I mean, Ja Morant is a unique individual. He's a unique star. Uh, Penny Hardaway is a unique individual, a unique star in that city. And and Ja has done a great job of, like, tying himself into the community yeah. in a pretty deep way. Um, is it just the stages of trying to grapple with it all that's leading directly to sort of just one simple emotion of sadness? Uh, and, and we're just not there yet? We don't have enough time? And And what role do you think you know, guys like John, I mean, Penny was asked about it in his post game press conference. What role do these athletes have in in the healing process that's going to hopefully at some point take place?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think every city thinks they're unique in certain ways. And so and Memphis is certainly unique in certain ways. I'm from Buffalo. And honestly, I see a lot of similarities. And both of these cities are places that have gone, have been sort of had lots of tragedies buffeting them this year, uh, one way or another. Yeah. Um, and then the role of sports, I'm always a little, you know, I, I it's tricky because, um, it can be overstated. You know, we're about to celebrate the 50th anniversary here of the 1972, 73 Memphis tiger team that, uh, Is always been uh, uh, credited with bringing the city together in the wake of the Martin Luther King assassination, and people who lived through it will tell you that was a very real feeling um, at the time. Um, And they will also tell you that you know we didn't stop people didn't stop being racists or you know they didn't like we didn't all love each other after that. Like it, it, people didn't white flight didn't stop after that. Like um, and so. There's a limit to it, but, you know, I think um, like, just as you saw in Buffalo, I think, I think there, it's sort of, it's aspirational in a way. Like the resilience you saw with the bills after the Demar Hamlin and whatnot, and the way that galvanized Buffalo, uh, it, 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 you know, I, I, I think, puts a spring in your step a little bit and helps you, helps lift you up as you're going through your day. And I think the Grizzlies have the capacity to do that at their best. They play with this raw joy that is, that is like how we like to think of ourselves at our best. And so it becomes aspirational in that way right now. It is so real and so raw. And even as like, as I talk to you, there is an officer involved shooting, unfolding today in Memphis. Um, I, I had no idea what the circumstances are, that one of the suspect, the suspect is dead and the is in critical condition and I, I pray for him um, or her. Um, but right now it feels pretty empty to say, hey, Grizzlies, can you bring us together? You know, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a little bit too early for that. It's, um, you know, when you're still having the memorial service for him, and I thought what was really more true from the Grizzlies was this sense of we're, we're we're we are showing you it is all right to just grieve and feel all kinds of emotions because that's what we're feeling. and it yeah. it really, rather than lifting people up, it to me um helped validated that it the validate that it's okay to feel a whole bunch of different feelings, including confusion.
1: Memphis is Memphis is uh I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Memphis is, has always had a a racial uh tension at its core for the last 60 70 80 years. I mean pick pick your point. Uh but but that but that tension between specifically black and white is very real. And I wonder I wonder kind of where you see it as uh, both as a writer and both as and as somebody who's who goes on the radio and talks to people kind of how does that how does that kind of manifest itself how does it, do you see kind of fault lines do you see
2: uh, yeah I mean I I think it's um, first of all I think I think Memphis, but I think America has had, 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 you know, struggled with race issues for race, race issues for hundreds of years. And you see it in many ways. Like, for example, small thing, uh, the, the radio station 92.9, where I do my show hired a new afternoon host, Gabe Kuhn. He's going to be very good, former Memphis football player. And, um, but in a city that's predominantly black, most of the hosts, including me, um, on this station, are white. And, I'm conscious of that. So when they hire someone else and it's another person, another white guy, um, I actually said something about it. Like I said, I hope Gabe was great. I said, you know, i'm I'm aware of the criticism, and I think it's valid that we don't have enough. um and and someone immediately tweeted at me and said, Yeah, nobody cares about that the media. You don't let us forget it. Let us get past race, or whatever else. And so what you find is a lot of white people here don't want to talk about race and think you know that that it's not real and that we live in a post racial society and whatever else and and a lot of uh, black people here think that's just freaking nuts which it is <laughs> um and um but what i also find is like it is interesting i opened up the phones after the uh, monday i guess it was after the video came out no it's friday before the video came out and like I, you know, I get lots of black callers, and and um, and there, I, I find when people actually talk about it, they're incredibly thoughtful. When they Facebook post about it or tweet about <laughs> it, they tend to be less thoughtful. They tend to be more <laughs> reflexive, and so um, I don't know. Like it, it, it clearly is. You know memphis what happened is is there were lots of plantations in mississippi and then the 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 slaves were freed and then they moved to memphis and then they were uh you know subjugated for two centuries and uh and so we have a city that's largely impoverished and um and we and we deal with that every day
1: and, but, and i think that's yeah. I, that's that's something that i don't think most people are aware of even if you like understand the ra- racial dynamics but there's an economic dynamic at, at play in memphis uh you know there's a city there's city county components to it there's, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of on the,
2: on the bridge there were people you know chanting about how uh it's the business the white business class that wants to keep black people down that's you know what and and a lot of my friends are in that white business and i don't think they're trying to subjugate um i i don't believe that but do i think that the systems and institutions i mean if just start with with the fact that that um that property taxes pay for schools, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and and so you have a built-in the schools in the city are paid for with property taxes and people are leaving, and so they you can build palaces out in the suburbs, and you have you know people with no air conditioning or rats in their schools and in that downtown. And so why do we have a world where rich kids get beautiful fantastic schools and poor kids get crappy schools and I mean it's that's that's structural and 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 built in um and so but I don't think it's e- e- I don't think it's intended to be oppressive I just think the the way the systems have worked out it it is oppressive
0: well I, I would argue it was intended to be oppressive like 60 years but, ago yes, um 100 oh, yeah, yes. percent and, and and like Nashville <laughs> knows Nashville knows all about redlining redlining is a huge problem in Nashville for a long long time all it takes is five seconds of reading in the history of the city to understand. Right. And so I'm curious, when you sit down to write a column for a subscription model newspaper that is sort of desi- designed for you to get your emotions out and to write about feelings and to write about sort of the nuances, like even the nuances of this particular situation where you have a new district attorney with different ideas you have got this certain particular type of cop group right this sort of unit that has very little training like, e- like how deep can you go with all those little tiny nuances and all the things you just talked about historically with the city of memphis into a subscription based article that is your personal emotions versus oh. when you versus when you do a radio show when you're trying when you're talking to more people and in real time like h- how does your content change can you be as, as nuanced as you want on the radio or do you have to simplify it for people
2: no i think you could be i mean I, I i don't it's something i struggle with because i i'm not a full-time metro columnist and i care much more about the city of memphis than i do about sports now that's the way my life has evolved here i i once really liked you know going to the Kentucky derby and the world, world series and the super bowl and i still really loved the olympics and i love you know and i still like sports but i care more about the city than i do. And humanity than I do about sports now. It's just true, and um, but I'm not so I'm I don't write about these issues regularly enough that as a columnist I get into the nitty gritty. But I find it fascinating about what effective policing would look like, um, the lack of accountability in 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 uh, in police departments, Um, and but I don't get in the weeds with that at all when I write about it. What the, the one column I wrote, I just tried to process feelings a little bit. Um, uh, and it was through the prism of the Grizzlies, ultimately. So I'm not someone who's writing, at this stage of my career anyway, um, you know, uh, a very nuanced, um, granular columns about policing. Um, and nor do I really talk about that. I honestly think, though, that just to get people to acknowledge... Eh, on a sports talk show, if you just get people to acknowledge, for example, that there is such a thing as driving while black, that that and 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 the way you people start to hear that is because if black callers come in and they t- tell their stories, I, I think that's helpful. Just to so to get people to, I, I try to come from a little bit of a middle place rather than a left wing place, even though I do lean left wing, because I think I think that we are really. We're in need of sort of listening to each other more than we do. And so uh, I consider that my role more than the granular analysis granular analysis of these topics. But I think a subscription-based newspaper is a place where you can have granular discussion of these topics and should, because you want to give people added value over the just the twelve inch stories that they can click on, you know at the at the local TV station website
1: the i want to talk a little bit about the the daily memphian you were one of uh a a group of people that that the memphian was really kind of built around i mean you you were a long-time columnist at the commercial appeal uh and had and had gone to this startup um what have you learned here in you know, the, 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 the kind of the four years that the Daily Memphian has been in existence and kind of how people consume their news and kind of what your reach is and what is the, what is your power as a columnist? And, and, and do you think you're reaching, how much of Memphis do you think you're reaching?
2: Uh, it's a, it's really changed in that sense. And that like, when I came here, 250,000 people got the commercial appeal and whatever. So how many let's say there were two or three readers per newspaper. So it was, you know, 750,000 people read every column um, or not every column, but that was the reach. And that position that I inherited um, was the traditional, you know, it was the it was the uh, David Clymer, uh, you know, newspaper columnist where, and, and in Memphis, I don't know. Like I even think, I even think the, if, not me, the reach of that columnist, that job in Memphis was really pretty extraordinary. It was, you know, um, it was an important job and a privilege to have it. And that job doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't exist anymore because there's no outlet that matters that much anymore. Um, Like Mark Giannato is the columnist at CA now, and he does a really good job, but he can't possibly have anything close to the reach that I had when I first got here. And I somewhat live off that now. Like people know who, you know, they, they read me when a million people got the paper, as opposed to now I think 30,000 people get the commercial appeal. So less. (laughs) um, So, and I don't mean like that's more than get the daily Memphian. The daily Memphian is considered a incredible success. If you look at other nonprofit newspapers around the country the fact that we cover everything, we're not just niche. We have sports and food and, and, and music and and also politics and everything else. We are now bigger than the commercial appeal. I think we have a staff of roughly 40 journalists. They have a staff of probably 25 or 30 journalists. But they still have a bigger subscription. I think we probably have uh, 18,000. We don't ever do subscribe for six months for a penny kind of thing, which Gannett does so it's i think 14 dollars a month or something like that and it's fully paid and it's still here and when when i signed up i i still had kids who had to go to college and i asked for a contract that was pretty ironclad so that even if it went under i was going to get paid because i was worried about that i don't have the contract since expired because it's it was four years and we've been around for more than four years but i wouldn't ask for that now like the daily memphians here it's it's well established it's here but the change has been that many more people know me now from radio than know me from my. You know, many more people say I listen to your radio show than say I read your column. There are still a lot of people who read my column, um, and particularly among the, you know, the 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 the, the richer, more well, you know, whatever folks. And but the reach is, you know, whatever. And and they make all my stuff sub only, um, and so. You know, or 60,000 p- people could read something online when I was at the CA. Now it's got a maximum, you know, reach of the 17,000 subscribers. That's it. When and I missed when, that, I, I preferred it when everybody read your column. Everyone wants to be read, right? You know, right. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, uh slightly different era uh, of, of media. I different, era, yeah. different era. Slightly different era. I will say, um, Because you've been there so long, you've already alluded to sort of your love and your passion for the city. And you've already talked about how during the pandemic, I I think the whole stick to sports thing is so comical because sports and culture and society have been interwoven literally every second that sports has existed going back hundreds and thousands of years. So you already mentioned having some authority in the market around even the pandemic and even around relationships at City Hall and some of the other things. How much does your experience in the market allow you to, to to venture into topics and venture into areas that maybe you know if somebody hires me and I'm, I've been there for three years yeah. and I'm a host, like how much does your authority because of your time spent allow you to do more stuff?
2: It's unquestionably true. and it's um, in the end, I think people know that that I love the city and want the best for the city. And, and I think people know that I'm not just a hot take guy. And so that doesn't mean they always agree with me on lots of things, whether it's uh, getting vaccinated or, or uh, you know, who to hire as the next football coach. Um, but I think there is a, I have, you know, for whatever, I've earned a certain amount of goodwill here, or people have extended me that goodwill or or, or trust or whatever else, such that I'm accepted as a Memphian, which is pretty extraordinary, given that, you know, I grew up in Buffalo and lived in Boston for uh, much of my life. So this idea that I think people have that, you know, it's hard to fit in in the South or hard to fit in in Memphis or, you know, you're a Yankee. I I I had no experience in Memphis really before I moved here. I had seen and I sort of thought of it as a closed off, you know, insular society. I'd seen the firm. And so I assume that's <laughs> what it's like. And um. And it's just the opposite. Memphis really is a place where because there are so many needs, um, I think that if you move here with an open-hearted – I mean, John Calipari, who loathes me, but was a very good Memphian when he was here, he used to say, if you love Memphis, it'll love you back. And and I think that's right. If you show any willingness to lift a finger to help address the huge challenges in Memphis – it, you you find that you're working shoulder to shoulder with a lot of other people who are doing the same thing and it becomes a real sense of community here. So um um and because of that, I think you know I think John was accepted here. He's about as Yankee as it gets. I'm a Yankee um and um you know I I it, to me it's an easy city to fit in if you if you care about the place and show you care about the place it
0: does it doesn't that make John Morant so unique because of his small town roots and his small town, in South Carolina and then a small town in college. And then he gets to Memphis and it's just like, it, it feels like it's almost preordained. Like it was destiny.
2: He's a perfect fit for the place. And it, it's interesting because we're coming off of a team that felt like, you know, the, the, the the old grit and grind Grizzlies were like, Oh, this was, we can never duplicate this. You had Zach Randolph who was, who'd been cast off by all these different places. And so Memphians related to that. And, tony allen who was sort of a rough rough hewn hewn in your face character who's absolute like a memphian and then uh marcus who went to high school here and then uh and mike Connolly, who was the booby prize in the in the greg odin kevin durant draft and so we sort of related to him as the booby prize and so how could you possibly have a team that reflects a city as much as as well as those guys did and yet, sure enough, now you've got Ja, small town, overlooked kid in South Carolina, Murray State here, Dylan Brooks, chip on your shoulder, um, you know, right down the line. It's it's Desmond Bain who fell in the draft. His arms are too short, and he's you know too old <laughs> and whatever. Else. And it's it's a different kind of it's more swagger, obviously, and um, and right. more fun, really, than that other team. But to get that lucky two franchises in a row is is really two iterations of the franchise is really fantastic.
1: you uh, explain to people kind of what, what kind of sports town Memphis is right now? Um, obviously it, it's very grizzly centric, um, but like, like for instance, Nashville has become a pro sports town and, and uh, you know, the, the, the kind of cottage obsession here and now is like getting a major league baseball franchise and right. uh, to go with <laughs> hockey and soccer and, and, people and really, football. Do
2: people really care about the, no. the what, no, no I don't they, they, they don't no. there's
1: there, that thing is that thing is an an inch deep uh,
0: right.
1: and it has <laughs> no that, that that's actually, Je- that's Jeff, actually don't, my... don't,
0: Jeff, don't ask him any questions. Steve will spend the next <laughs> he, will, he will spend the next hour and a half complaining about this. so let's not but, we, we don't need to go there <laughs> but
1: but but Nashville has evolved from what used to be uh, you know, when I was growing up uh, a, a preps and and college town. Yeah. And, and Vanderbilt Sports played a played a huge part. And of course, UT NASCAR all, loom, loomed over all of it. Uh and That's then good. to to now where everything is everything is pro-driven. I, I'm interested in kind of like what it, how does how does Memphis consume sports? What's what drives things? The, the Grizzlies, obviously. And then how much does University of Memphis kind of factor into that?
2: Well, it's it's a little inconvenient because the 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 problem is is that um is that you have you have two basketball teams that matter you know you have the tigers and you have the grizzlies and they're not even that different in experience because they play in the same building like if it would be better for the tigers if they were in a 12,000 seat on campus yeah. college atmosphere kind of place and so what you're seeing is once upon a time there was this Pro franchise, really, that was Memphis Tiger basketball, because it wasn't just the it wasn't, you know, just the the, the 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 people who went to Memphis. It was it was the city's team. It was the city's team in a way that most college basketball teams aren't Louisville's the only really other one that sort of fits that model. And um, and now along comes you have a, a, a pro team that actually is a pro team. And now it's an incredibly compelling pro team. Um, And so you really have seen that there's a drop off in interest um, and attendance to University of Memphis basketball, um, even though Penny is the coach. um, And I think that's inevitable um, that that would have happened. It actually took a long time. And University of Memphis basketball still does matter a lot. There, There are lots of people in Memphis, if you could ask, would you rather have a uh, an NBA championship or a NCAA championship, the old diehards would just want to see the Memphis Tigers win someday. That that would be the one they would pick, but I have three sons, two of them like sports. The two who like sports have never been to a tiger basketball game and care and watch every, you know, they live in other cities and they, and they watch Grizzlies on, you know, on league pass. And so that's what's happened. I mean, it, it's just all within the context of the same sport. It, 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 it it works better in nashville honestly because it's a little more spread around and you've got the you know an nfl team and an nhl team and that i i hear it's a little bit cluttered in basketball and then by the way the truth matters people still love football here every town, every american city is a football city yeah it's just we don't have a team um don't really consider the titans the team and And even when it comes to college football, I think had Memphis gotten into the Big 12, there would have been real potential or something to to continue to grow the college franchise. But the way it is right now, there's just a limit to it because it's so clearly minor league relative to to, you know, the bigger conferences.
1: Uh, We're only six weeks away from showboat season. Well,
0: well, and I was going to ask because it feels like the current administration at the university has been very open about how they would like to elevate their standing not just within the city. but across the board. That's why they've been so adamant about the big 12 expansion. I mean, I mean, this also means you probably have to put a lot more pressure on a football coach. Let's say hypothetically, maybe going into a critical, critical season. So like, do they have the right plan and the right people in place to sort of achieve some of those aspirational things that they want to do? Because again, there is an opening for the football team to slide in there.
2: It feels a little bit like that ship has sailed. Like there was a, an administration, um, David Rudd, who was president of the University of Memphis for a long time, he was absolutely gung ho on getting them into a conference. He would have said that that was his top priority. Um, you had a bunch of boosters who were deeply involved with it. FedEx was behind it. Um, there was this huge push, and it has not worked. And it sort of you get the sense that if this was Sisyphus, the rock finally just rolled down the hill, and he just lay there and gave up, you know. And that's sort of honestly, you don't hear as much from this this newer administration about how important it is. Um, you hear, well, we're gonna do more with less and blah, 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 but you don't hear as much about it because I don't think there's a sense that there's a real opportunity now. We don't, you know, I, I, they, they they just took Cincinnati, UCF and Houston um, to the big 12 and you get the sense that that's all they really wanted. And so now you have a situation, if you're Memphis basketball, the conference schedule is just gonna be garbage and and you know whatever you've got Tulane coming in this weekend, who cares? You know, like and and it's going to be a whole bunch of who cares. You're not even going to have the two games against Houston, which you have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, that's a tough fight for the University of Memphis. And I think people are basically exhausted by it.
1: I'm interested in uh, I, I'm interested in kind of who you think kind of rules the town more right now. Is it uh, is it Ja or is it Penny?
2: Ja, ah, it's tough, it's tough, you know, but Ja is, I mean, yes, if you, if, if you told people you can get Ja's autograph or Penny's autograph, go line up in this line or this line, the line for Jaw would be much longer, you know? <laughs> um, but people still love Penny. They, you know, that Penny is, I did a column once on, if you have ever taken a photo with Penny, a selfie with Penny Tell me, send me the selfie and tell me the story. And I got thousands of people sent me their photos with Penny and told me the story. And a lot of them were incredibly emotional stories about uh, what it meant and why it meant that. And um, um, and Penny's unbelievable in that way. Like in a way, honestly, that that maybe Ja can't be now, but Ja is is. I've never seen Penny, never seen him. He, and he's asked at the most inappropriate times, hell, while he's coaching, practically to pose for a selfie, and he just revels in it. And he revels in being a public figure, and he revels in being a Memphian. And um, so, uh, like he like
0: he likes poking the uh, the SEC Bears a, a little likes bit as well.
2: The SEC Bear a, a little bit I like as well. that. So, I like that. But no, I think I think you have to say Ja Ja rules the rules the roast now.
0: Well, um, Jeff, we really appreciate it. Obviously crazy week for you guys. Um, we really appreciate your time and, and, uh, thanks for giving us some, sorry,
2: some I was moving around so much the first five minutes, my dogs <laughs> wouldn't let me alone. So, so,
1: so, so, so to that end, Yes. if you search Jeff Calkins dogs, <laughs> you're going to get a lot of pictures <laughs> of you and some pretty great, some pretty great looking pups.
2: Well, I have, I have Bernie's I those,
1: of those pups. It was a pandemic thing, wasn't it?
2: I have Bernie's mountain dogs. It actually began the, I, I had a the I've, i I'm not people who dog breed dogs are crazy and I've done it two or three times, but not, not often. But the, the one time I did it, the first time I did it, it was when the Grizzlies went on their unlikely long playoff run and the first playoff run. And, um, no, it was actually when yeah I think maybe it might be when we went to the Western Conference Finals it was, and um and they weren't supposed to and so I had these new litter of puppies at home and I just kept traveling and so I'd have to hire people to watch the puppies because when they're little at ten dollars an hour twenty four hours a day to, and so I started posting photos of the of the puppies. And uh, TJ Simers, who wrote for the LA Times and was just would savage everybody all the time, he <laughs> savaged Memphis and he said they have this ridiculous columnist who all he cares about is his puppies anyway. And so, every time the Grizzlies would then beat the Clippers, I would post, I'd say, Grizzlies win, have a puppy, and I'd post another picture of these adorable Bernie's <laughs> Mountain Dog puppies, and it became a cause celeb a little bit, but um people love their dogs too much and they post too many pictures of their dogs and I'm guilty of that.
0: Uh I, there's two there's two people on this show right now that are guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is that is
0: for sure. Uh Jeff, thank you so much, man. Obviously uh a lot going on with you guys so we do appreciate you giving us uh, so much your time.
2: On. Thanks for having me. Yep. See ya
0: Lamestream Sports is a Nashville and Tennessee uh, podcast about sports, media, and business. And it is brought to you by Jaspers, always brought to you by the good people at Jaspers. So there's a very large football game coming up that the entire world's going to watch. And we have to a call it the big game. Yeah, we have to call it the big game. So um, because of laws and lawyers and no, lawyers, not laws, know, Lawyers. So uh, one of the big, one of the, the, uh, I am very stressed out by hosting people because my wife wants to make the hosting of the people so much larger than it ever actually has to be. Like I can just be like, Hey, come on over for a beer. We're going to watch the game. And like my buddy will come over and bring his own six pack and I'll have my own six pack. And we'll just, we'll figure out whatever it is we need to figure out to watch the game. But when my wife's involved in hosting a big game event, there's a, it just, it creates a lot of stress for me. So I'm, should there be someone that could come along steve and remove that stress from my life that'd be that'd be quite welcome for me it would be like maybe like the next evolution of your big game party possibly
1: possibly possibly look look listen what 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 if what if somebody could do that what if somebody could take that stress away provide delicious food mm-hmm. and 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 you wouldn't have to worry about the biggest part of
0: the pregame entertainment the big game you if you're gonna have people over for the big game you gotta you gotta provide food you just gotta do it you got you can ask them to bring a bottle of this or a sixer of that but like you're gonna probably have to provide some food and jasper's is the way to go on this one i'm telling you we did it for the georgia tennessee game we had about 10 we had about uh 10 adults and like nine kids so about 20 people total And for like 150 bucks, we went and got queso with like chips and pork rinds. We got chicken tenders three different ways. You can get chicken tenders three different ways. We got barbecue pork sliders. We got the smoked turkey wraps. You could add some cookies to that bad boy. And let me give you a little hint here. Let me give you guys the hint. Plug in the crock pot before you leave to go grab it all from Jaspers. Is this a life hack? I think it is. I don't. It's just good lifing. It's good hosting thanks jaspers (laughs) you you plug the crock pot in so i go get all the stuff plug it in make sure it's on low oh really Put it on high well no i turn it all the way to high so that it goes fast and then you turn it down to low when you put all so anyway i go to jaspers i get this giant tub of stuff i put the hot stuff in the hot cooler the other stuff's just in a bag it's all set up ready for me perfectly when i walk in at the exact time i ordered it i was like i was like one o'clock on a saturday i went and got it i brought it back uh, I put the, the, the I pour the queso into the already warm crock pot, mm. give it a few stirs, and it stays that warm temp turn it down to low that warm, delicious queso just sat just like now it was gone pretty fast, but like had it been around for the whole game, it, you know, I will it
1: w- eat congealed queso <laughs> because you know I'm a guy uh, but-, but Jasper's queso doesn't congeal that's the beauty of it. it
0: stays. It stays nice and smooth. It's delicious. You, leaving it nice and warm means that, that it's just never, ever an issue.
1: Just and never it, an issue.
0: It's spicy enough for those who love the spice, but not spicy enough for like the like the kids still like to eat it. They got some chorizo in there. Again, the kids crush the chicken tenders. Uh, we absolutely crush the, the, the barbecue pork sliders. If you need to take all of the stress off of your plate. For the big game. <laughs> you, you like that? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, take all the stress off of your plate. And put Jasper's on it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You're a professional. Go to Jasper's, everybody. That was Jeff Calkins. And, of course, uh, a very uh, interesting, traumatic, historic week in Memphis, week and a half in Memphis. And appreciate him jumping on and giving us a few minutes of his time. Not, Not easy, I imagine, for reporters, writers, sports talk radio hosts, Whoever you may be in the city of Memphis, uh, I imagine it's been a pretty tough couple of weeks for everybody. So,
1: I, I appreciate Jeff's perspective. Uh, Jeff is one of these people I've read him for a long time. He's just—he's such a smart guy. He's such a—he's such a good writer, and he's like a lot of sports guys that I know. Uh, I, I, I can name kind of kind of like a half dozen here that longtime sports columnists, heavily invested in their community, become like. Become like the voice of the of the publication, uh, covering like city issues. I, I know uh, I know several that became like metro columnists uh, because they, I mean, for reasons that Jeff detailed. You know, he he became sort of less. He's sort of less invested in sports. He loves sports, but you know, he loves his he loves his his city more, and is and that's the thing that sort of interests him more. I, I thought it was really interesting, kind of him chronicling and this is something that, that we've talked about a lot uh, about how the, the position is gone, uh, of sport of kind of the big dog sports columnist. It's just gone. The, those, those platforms don't exist. The, the people that follow legends will never, ever have the same, will never, ever have the same reach as them because, the, because the platforms are so much smaller, uh, and, and the, the publications are less consequential. Than they were when they had these huge reaches on particularly on Sunday, where you're you're reaching like he said, you know, a quarter million people. well,
0: so let, let me ask you. So like there is no like there's no equivalent today, right? Like there's no uh, uh, again, I, this is we talked about this with Joe Biddle, right? Like Joe Biddle had such a reach that people wanted to communicate with him via mail, <laughs> like, via snail yes. mail <laughs> to have a relationship with him and the publication., I don't know what the equivalent is today, um especially for a community right there, there's certainly a, an equivalent for a national audience but there's no connection there there's no well,
1: depth. And, and and i'm thinking about like particularly like the tennessean like the tennessean had the, like their last columnist of that stripe on the news side was a was a woman named gail kerr uh, who passed away and i want to i'm missing the dates here when i say it's like 2014 2015 gail was a gail was a an ex came up as a news side person as an editor and a reporter and Gail had connections. Gail Gail could pick up the phone and call anybody in city government in, you know, a lot of people in state government, she was able to pry inside. And so she had a perspective that was informed and and she would do these, you know, these reported columns that were her opinion, but, but they were based on, you know, based on her reporting. We don't have that anymore. The Tennessean never filled that position really. And they, they split it up among a couple of other a couple other people. They asked them to do different things. They started chasing different types of stories uh, that they thought may might work better in a digital age. And so as a result, Nashville doesn't have that voice. and it's and we are much worse off for it. You know when, when I'm thinking about 20 years ago when there was a, a fight over state income tax, and there were there were multiple there were multiple voices. Uh, from publications that had influence and that had kind of real
0: opinion and Uh, genuine and thoughtful and researched opinions. Let's be clear. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And, and, and and now that is all gone.
0: Yeah. And, and, and
1: and they have, they have actively walked away from these things and the, the publications are much worse off for it because now you couldn't, if you, if they tried to start that position again, if they tried to have a Metro columnist, yeah, they, they, they would never, ever have the impact that, that Gail did or and I'm thinking about a bunch of political columnists, you know, in Tennessee and in banner history that had reach and, and they just they just don't now and, and they will not. And you see that on the sports side with, with what Jeff was talking about. I, I think it's interesting. I, I think that that a sports columnist today almost has to have a radio platform where they're kind of reaching people. In order to in order to sort of simulate some of the same effect that the that the old sports columnists used to have just in print, you're just never going to have that on a, on a digital side what, anymore.
0: What What's the old phrase like all politics is local? Well, all politics is national and all big sports media voices now are national. There there are no there are no like it's not to say that there aren't great people in the market doing good work. There There are. Um, I, I do. There's man. There's so many observations I have talking to Jeff because he's got so much good perspective, and and obviously again, th- this is a community that is dealing with trauma right now. So I think it's important to remember that. But I think first of all, number one, uh, we are acutely aware that we are three middle aged white men talking about race. I just want to be. I just want to throw that out there at the, at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, the middle aged
1: thing hurts.
0: Well. I don't even know where exactly the date is. I've had lots of <laughs> arguments about this, but I think you're way past it, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate um, no, that. I'm, I'm past it, too. Uh, so that, that's that's just, I just want to kind of get that out on the front end. But the other thing is, I think the Daily Memphian as a, as a model is interesting to me that it has found success because I do not think that, like, most markets, I don't think it works. Most markets now we've talked about this before, like some markets, the Boston Globe kind of trained people in Boston to do this from the beginning, right? Like subscription based model. I, I think that if you wanted to do sports content or city content for a lot of the biggest markets in the country, I don't think it works as well because they have all been spoiled. And we've we've talked a lot about this.
1: Well, it's not that they've been spoiled, but the, the, those markets have been trained, trained yeah to, to be
0: free and
1: to, to expect free for so yeah. long. Yeah, that's what, so... I, that's what I meant. And so it really was just a mass raid on the on the commercial appeal that created the Daily Memphian. And, you know, they were very smart about they got Jeff. Uh, they got a very popular food writer. Uh, they got a couple. Uh, there were a couple other columnists. that were uh, there were very recognizable names. That they could that they could go to people and say, okay, these are people that you know and trust and have for years, and now they're over here, and you know we want you to come pay for this. Well,
0: and again, he they all went from five, six, seven hundred thousand person reach to fifteen thousand person reach, and and right. it's and it is considered a success, an extremely successful example of what a local paper can do. Behind a subscription paywall, if you're willing to pay for good journalism, so I, I do think Nashville is still very much in that size of market that Nashville could could absolutely handle it. Uh, go to the Nashville banner, by the way, sign up nashvillebanner.com. Um, I, I the other couple things, first of all, th- this, there don't get me wrong, like I find myself being old all the time. We just made middle-aged joke about this. I find myself yelling at clouds, I find myself thinking that TikTok is controlled by China, like, because it is. Well, like That's ha- not being middle-aged. <laughs> but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you find yeah. yourself saying these things. And I think a lot of times we just crack jokes and we say, oh, he's just old. He's just old. She's just old. They just, they're just old. They've just been around too long. There, there is so much value in perspective and wisdom and experience that we just sort of sometimes don't always acknowledge. And I think Jeff is a perfect example of how having... The ability to understand the history of what this community or this team or this player or whatever the story is. To have that kind of experience, I think, is invaluable. It is invaluable. It doesn't mean you can still run like a (laughs) 4-4 out on your street after a few bottles of champagne with your buddies on New Year's Eve, for example. (laughs) Not speaking from experience or anything. I'm just saying there's tremendous value in age. And I think sometimes we're quick on social media in particular to just sort of make the age joke and, hey, I'm just an old man on my porch or go touch some grass or yell at some clouds. But like really, you know, being around is a valuable asset too. Like (laughs) having been around a long time is a valuable asset. The last one, of course, is the one that drives me the most nuts of all. And that is just the idea that somehow, and maybe you know the origins of this, I don't know certainly it's politicized and it's been weaponized, but the idea that somehow sports and our society and the things that happen in our society are unrelated is so comical to me. It's so naive and ignorant to like the history of mankind that, that I just don't understand the stick to sports, shut up and dribble. Like I don't even get it. Like I, it is just to me, it is a crutch for people who are incapable of having complex conversations. And I don't, uh, maybe you can po- maybe maybe it's cable news i don't know maybe you can tell me where it began that it was like this fashionable I mean, thing it's always to-
1: it's always been as long as we've had sports it's been around i mean and, and, it, and it it feels like a recent phenomenon because because of where it has it has it's cropped up within political conversation uh you, know, you don't whether, think that's new you don't think uh, that's a new thing i mean ask. Asked John Carlos and Tommy Smith about the reaction they got well, from raising their fists on the on the stands in '68 in Mexico City. But 68. didn't that but
0: didn't that create like I I don't know like Twitter wasn't a thing so it didn't devolve I mean, into it, like two human beings throwing it, their own fecal matter at each hyper, other. You know
1: you know it, it it certainly I mean ask ask the people that that kept calling him Cassius Clay. You know you know if Muhammad Ali was was, was should just stick to boxing. I mean the, the, there's there's always there's always been something okay. like, like this. It's just that we're we're hyper attuned to it, and by the way, you can now well, it's been weaponized directly in front of us in a, you know in a device that's in our pocket yeah it's it's been, and, and it's, so, been it's been
0: weaponized and monetized that that feeling against because again, like I grew up and i'm I mean, I'm not that old. I'm forty years old. i I guess maybe I am old. I don't know uh I, I mean, I grew up with sports being directly tied to race directly tied to social issues directly tied to our entire existence my entire life it's never not been tied yeah. to things that happened in our lives like sports in fact i would argue pulls the rest of us through the eye of the needle into the future normally and because because a guy can steal home <laughs> is is why we're okay with black people playing baseball like like that's how i grew up was i, I don't know i just i guess i guess it has not been on this level and scale, it's never been monetized and weaponized the way it is today, that somehow you cannot just have a complex conversation about sports and other things together at one time. It, it's, I don't know. I mean, I- uh,
1: to, to that, to that end, I found that very interesting. Uh, what Jeff was, was talking about in terms of like his radio show, becoming a place like started out, like during COVID where people came and they talked about that. And he said, you said, you know, we got, we got the mayor on, and epidemiologists, and all this other stuff, because we because we were having this conversation, and because you know there weren't any sports. But but I mean, there you know some of the shows here kind of did some of that as well. I think it. I think that speaks to a lack of. I know that's true in in Nashville's market. Like the the talk radio that we have is either sports or it's like a hyper partisan, usually conservative talk that is th- th- there's not much place to ta- to to just come in and have conversations and and to have like these sort of rambling conversations uh, oh
0: maybe be maybe be wrong perhaps every now well, and then well or like maybe it's, it's okay to be wrong like it's okay
1: or to, or to not you know, to not attack people during right. during conversations
0: <laughs> have, have some and- grace
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, there was a, there was a. I mean, Teddy Bart had a show on uh, here for a, for a while that that was that was that sort of thing. And sort of af- after that went off the the air, the replacements for that have always been have always leaned towards this kind of like hard political bit because they know that, that you can attract a small audience. I mean, that it, it's monetizable to yep. to your point, and I, I think that it's interesting that like on a national level, like the the people that have interesting talk shows pull pull huge pull huge numbers i mean like stern pulls huge numbers when if you i mean and he got his reputation as a shock jock, jack but quite frankly howard stern's one of the best if not the best interviewer of people on the planet
0: in, in part and, in part because he's kind of chilled out and he's like a layup line now like he he'll and i and i mean that in a positive way like he's he's so relaxed about the whole thing he's not trying to shock you that it turns out he can get something good out of you. Like that's, that's what that, but he's had to evolve. I I will say, I want to make sure before we go any further on the stick to sports thing that like, also I've also spent a lot of my, and and I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Probably you haven't. I, I would say in radio, I am more hyper aware in the moment that our job is to give you a few minutes of your day to get away from all the other shit. When you drive to work, you've got a family, you've got a job, you've got all these things you're doing, or you're driving home from work, you're stressed out or whatever. And and part of the job on sports talk radio, especially in a local market, is to give you that like 15 minutes of escapism to this thing that I love, so that we can just kind of like talk about it. Whether or not Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow are gonna are gonna win the Alabama job, or if Joe Milton is underrated as a quarterback in the SEC. Like I understand, I've been hyper focused on that most of my career. That like our job is to give you in broadcast medium to give you a few minutes of a breather, a few minutes of a break. And so I know that when we want to talk about Kaepernick or we want to talk about all this other stuff, that it can be it can be like an imposition on all of that. And I get that. But at the same time, when the entire world is looking at Memphis, you cannot ignore that story in the moment that it's happening. And I, I just think there ha- like we have to be able to kind of have both, right? Like acknowledge we need the getaway and the escape, but also say, you know what? We're adult enough, we're mature enough to handle a little bit of complexity and nuance in our sports diet as well. Like some vegetables, you know? Like you yeah. need some vegetables, not just a an Italian sub every time with like a, a muffalata. You know what I mean? Like on the side, <laughs> you know? <laughs> which, would, which would be delicious right now, by the way. Uh, muffalata? <laughs> muffalata? You don't like a muffalata? Mufalada? Muffalata? <laughs> dude, dude, if you don't like Olive tempenade, I got nothing for you, man. Okay. All right. I, I, Go I, to Jaspers. Let
1: me, let me say let me say one thing I think better than I was trying to say it a, a minute ago. The the media that we have right now, we don't have but because we have so many more points of entry, because we have like, for instance, this podcast, which which reaches a very narrow range of of, of interest. Uh, because we have you know the number sheer number of channels and streaming options and and whatever else we don't have general interest programming anymore we and we have we have less and less a, 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 sen- a sense of shared culture and that's true on that's i think that is one of the reasons why we have we have fewer and fewer uh, kind of variety sorts of things that kind of reach a reach a broad range of people, because uh, we we've we have figured out the more monetizable, more niche mm. ways uh, of yeah. doing this, yes. and, and so we don't have you know we don't have these kind of broad shows. We don't have a show that talks sports and talks news and talks all the, all these sorts of things. When you could do a really interesting version of that, mm. that I would hope finds audience. If um, if,
0: if only if only there perhaps was a person who referred to themselves as a generalist who maybe wanted to move back to town <laughs> to do a potential show like that with somebody who may have or may have not launched their own podcast network. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe. They, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, all right. So very serious, obviously, situation in Memphis and way too early to sort of, you know, I I almost kind of feel bad for asking like the, hey, can John Morant and Penny Hardaway help? Help the city. And it's like, well, we're, we're too soon on that. And I think that was, I think Jeff did a good job of, of, of portraying that. And I think that's their job right now is to sort of just show people the what's happening, explain their own experiences through all of this, and then try to move forward. There'll be lots of time to relive a million different things and litigate a million different things. Um, so, a uh, quick recommendation before we get into like the lighthearted recommendations and finish the show in a lighthearted way, real quickly, of course, the Hellhound on the Trail is the story of the. Like two continent man chase of the guy who killed Martin Luther King, uh, written by Hampton Sides, a Memphis native who is a brilliant writer, and again also like Jeff, very very deeply entrenched in the culture and the the history of the city. It it is a great book, and I think it ties in appropriately uh, with what we've been talking about today on the show. So that's sort of like just a quick little side note there. Um, I, I, I said I,
1: I said this when we talked about this. I think it was it was like if you are if you're a journalist or if you just like good journalism uh read the footnotes to that book oh man man the footnotes to that and kind of when you see how sides did his reporting it's fucking amazing it's Whoa. so good it's so so good when you can see how he put all of these facts together in order to make in order to kind of create yep. the narrative that he did it's it's just uh, it's just amazing and you could just go through the footnotes and, you know, read the original documents and go, go to those newspaper stories and whatever else and find really interesting stuff. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah probably it's more amazing. Right.
0: It's an amazing read. Um, all right. So we'll, I'll, I'll, you'll have a couple of recommendations here in just a second. Make sure you go to Jasper's of course, great place to, you know, cater the big game. If you're having people over maybe a small gathering, maybe a, a medium sized gathering. I don't know what constitutes a large gathering. Exactly. But Jasper's has got you covered. Go go to Jasper's; they got you covered. They can take care of kids. They can c- take care of families. They got the whole thing. Really great options. They can hit big numbers for you. So make sure you go to Jasper's. Check them out. Okay, um, go to Jasper's shrinking on Apple TV. There yeah. there are very few shows that give me the same um, the same feels, the same vibes as Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso. Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso have this sort of, like, charming, wholesome, but also sophomoric and dirty sense of humor that I think is a really, really hard needle to thread. <laughs> and those two shows are probably among my favorite. Parks and Rec has got a little bit of this, too, right? But those two are kind of the benchmark. Shrinking has a lot of these vibes. Jason Seagall, Like, I have not liked Harrison Ford in a while. But he is his character is so good in this. Jessica Williams is one of the best people to ever come through the Daily Show ever of all time. No, oh, she's she's fantastic. She is absolutely brilliant in this. Like all the side characters are brilliant. The daughter is is great. Um Seagull and Ford are great. Like if you're in it, it is it's it, there's only like three episodes, and we like we got to like the third episode. And my wife was genuinely disappointed that like there wasn't more available. <laughs> she couldn't binge more. <laughs> when I, um, right. We were, I was like, oh, I guess this is coming out in real time. It has got a lot of the same sort of like very serious but very funny kind of Shit's Creek Ted Lasso type of vibes. And it that's a pretty high bar for me to say that. So so
1: if you if you uh, so go on YouTube and search uh, Brett Goldstein and Colbert, and check out the interview he gave last week or the week before about shrinking because he's an executive producer and one of the, and one of the writers on there. And then he, and he also appears in it and <laughs> about how he got Harrison Ford to play the part. It's he's,
0: uh, he's unlike any character I have ever seen in my entire life, watching Harrison Ford movie since I was three years old.
1: It, it is. Uh, I mean, that will, it, it, it's a really charming interview. Goldstein is it, a great interview, uh, but, but just go watch that clip and you'll be like, and this and this is what we did. We were like, we we're like, okay, I want to watch this now. <laughs> and we did. We, we flipped over and watched the first episode. It's 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 very good. I, I like it a lot. It's very Dude,
0: good. Jessica Williams is is so, <laughs> Williams is so good. Spectacular. <laughs> She's so good. Uh, all right. So those are my, Hampton sides and uh shrinking. Uh hopefully they can come out with more episodes sooner rather than later. So there you go. Uh
1: so I have two things to recommend. Uh one just bizarre. In Interview magazine, uh, which if you've, you've never picked it up, uh, runs these just massively long Q and As. And there is an interview this uh, that that just came out this week, and the headline in it, on it is, "Pamela Anderson tells Ronan Farrow how she survived Hollywood." Oh my God, what a combo! <laughs> and it's just like, and like the, with like the headline, I was like, "Oh, I'm in!" And then like ten thousand words later. I mean, they get into so much stuff, and it's so interesting.
0: Um, it, it is. Does it say anything about Ronan Farrow's personal life and his relationships? I, I'm not gonna.
1: I'm gonna make you go read it. I don't. I'm not, it.
0: Gonna, I'm not gonna spoil any of this. I, there's there's so much good
1: stuff in there. And then so the other one uh, is is in the cut, which is a uh, which is a subsection of New York Magazine, and the headline is it's under it comes under, under the section problem solving. Do you know how to behave? Are you sure? How to text, tip, ghost, host, yeah. and generally exist in polite society today. And they give uh where's
0: the number? I feel like uh, Tinder, I feel like Tinder's been doing that for about a decade.
1: It's like a it's it's like a hundred <laughs> odd things.
0: Uh how to ghost someone. does <laughs> uh
1: and, and it's things like you may callously cancel almost any plans up until 2 p.m.
0: Oh, uh, okay. All right, that's fair. That's fair.
1: Um, uh, when shopping with a friend, don't cut uh, don't cut them in the rack. <laughs> that should be understood. Uh, it should be okay. Um, right. Keep going. Never send an edible arrangement. <laughs>
0: in general, in general,
1: right, like uh, uh, there's a couple here that I can't read on a family show. This is not um, a family
0: show. You said fuck earlier.
1: Uh, you know, it's things like uh, <laughs> if you're a dating adult, you if you're a dating adult, you should own lube.
0: All um, right. That's probably true.
1: Strangers and uh, the category of strangers and others. And I love this. If you've met someone and they clearly don't remember your name, say, hi, we've met and I'm X. Which I
0: thought and was well, great. Well, that is great. But how do you know when someone doesn't know your name and you've got the all clear to ask for the name? That's a really that's a that, that's a riddle. No one's ever solved. Yeah. Uh,
1: number 28. Don't ask people how they got COVID. And they're <laughs> they're like long explanations for for all of these, and and they're really well written. Yeah, I'm uh, good with that. I'm good with that one too. Actually, it's great to talk about the weather, but uh, it <laughs> it was sixty degrees in January. There's lots to say. <laughs> uh, don't people don't tell people they look like other people.
0: Oh, see, we're going to now this is going to be like recommendations that are inspiring other recommendations. This is this is it's just so good.
1: So uh, like in the going out and staying in section, if your burger is becoming a salad, your restaurant order modifications have gone too far.
0: (laughs) You and I are going to have words about what we put on our burger.
1: (laughs) Don't foist. your Don't foist your allergies onto a dinner party.
0: The word "foist" is very underutilized. It's a, it's a great word. Uh, the
1: correct number of slices of pizza to order for a group of uh, of x people is is two x plus x divided by three.
0: Oh God! <laughs> so you you you, t- you mentioned like the like a lot of it was relationship sort of like focused, right? Um, and there was a recent episode of Offline, which I talk about all the time on the show. Uh, do dating apps make it harder to find love? And one of my most favorite. Like for, with a couple of uh, of of women that are sort of much younger than you or I, and sort of just explaining what life has been like on the dating app. Since I think both of you, you and I, neither one of us ever really experienced the dating app thing. We got married before that happened. Um, the the like ability to flirt and and just people not they just don't have the skill set anymore. Like they just yeah. don't know how to they don't know <laughs> how to do it. And I think I actually think it's like a microcosm of like all of our interactions and behaviors that we just have lost the muscle memory. On how to interact with one another in person, and like all of the world is still trying to refigure out those muscles a little bit. So,
1: I want to run through the parent a couple of the parenting ones here with oh, you real quick. Oh, just no. to take your temperature. Uh, number one thirteen. You can discipline your friends' kids, but not as stranger's.
0: Oh my god, that's really accurate. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's that's true. Like I I know my friends' kids well enough to know that if they do something wrong, they're they're fine with me. Saying something to them, but if you don't like I know one I know one woman got she's amazing lover, but like I know one woman if you you talk to her friend or you talk to her kid, like I can talk to him, but you can't talk to him <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, weirdly that's weirdly
1: accurate one seventeen go easy when asking young people about life after high school,
0: yeah, that just doesn't sound like it's gonna end well for anybody, yeah, uh, I think I think we all lose when that. <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> Number 120,
1: even when a kid's party says no gifts, you're supposed to bring a gift.
0: No, absolutely not. <laughs> 1 million percent no, that's not true. That is completely inaccurate. Uh if we say no gifts on a party, we mean it. When no gift is put on the party, trust me, I'm in peak going to kids birthday parties right now, okay? I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> we go to a, we, every freaking Saturday is one of these and they're fun, they're a blast, but if it says no gift, we don't bring a gift. And if we say no gift on ours, we mean don't bring a gift. We don't put it on there for no reason. So
1: one twenty one. If someone's baby is crying in public, you don't need to stare at them.
0: Oh uh, yeah, you, yeah. I have this, and, I and have the, this, the explanation yeah, is, yeah, yeah,
1: they know their baby is crying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I, I do like do the forced. I like force myself to look away, and I can feel like I'm m- being awkward in my own skin. It's, it very much so. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Any more? Um, there's there's a whole set of. You're gonna posting? read the entire the entire one hundred and fifty. Post list?
1: Uh, no, no, no. There's there's a whole set of like posting and testing, uh, texting etiquette. Oh god. Um, you know, it, it, there's it, there's it's a really, really fun read, and, right. and you will, and, and you'll walk away from, uh, you'll walk away from it on, on a bunch of them going, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then there's a couple you're going to be like, no, I don't agree with that.
0: And the other three that Steve hasn't read, go check them out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, all right,
1: it is a, it, it is a, it is a very fun piece. It's it's in the cut, which is New York Magazine. Uh, and
0: um, it they
1: they they have a, a very good staff of very witty writers and uh, I enjoyed that piece a lot.
0: Well, there you have it. We appreciate Jeff for joining us today. Uh, obviously, again, a lot going on, so we appreciate his time. Make sure you go to Jasper's uh, ten dollars beers and uh, or ten dollars beers. I say that every time. Ten dollars smash burgers, three dollars beers during Preds games, home and road. I think they're a decent slash okay hockey team. So go watch them uh but better yet get really good burgers and really good beer for very little money play a free play in a free game room and not pay for parking while doing all of this at Jasper's so go do it go go to Jasper's everybody go to uh, Jasper's Steve where can people get good journalism
1: nashvillebanner.com uh we got a couple stories coming out uh one with the with uh with our partners at Channel 5 next week uh and a couple more that we ha- I had a piece this week on John Cooper stepping down and, and kind of why he did and the field that may be out there, uh, out there trying to replace him. Uh, spoiler, there's about to be a lot more mayoral candidates.
0: <laughs> uh, I want a one word answer. Based on your own personal opinion, is Megan Barry currently the front runner? No. There you go. Uh, Nashvillebanner.com. That's the kind of analysis you can get at Nashvillebanner.com. Uh, <laughs> that's not the, a-
1: <laughs> the analysis you're getting at Nashvillebanner.com?
0: <laughs> no, I'm that's kidding. That's not at all. I'm kidding. It was forced upon you. All right. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for hanging out with us. We do appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Go to Jaspers, Nashvillebanner.com, all the other great shows from the 440 Sports Network as well. We do appreciate you guys for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. For Steve, I'm Braden. We'll talk to you guys next week. This has been Landstream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.